Hello there, and welcome back to Fly on the Wall. My name's Aaron Bennett. And I'm Kendall Solanik. And we are super excited to be making our first appearance on the podcast in season three. Kendall, this is your first appearance ever. This is my first time ever. I never thought this day would come. She asked us almost a calendar year ago, do I ever get to be on the podcast? And we were like, Ooh. absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> but here we are. We're excited to have her on and super excited for today's episode. But before we do that, just one quick vlog. Make sure you follow us on social media. Our social channels are at Fly on the Wall Pod. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook with that handle. Or if you want to shoot us a note, you can email us at flyonthewallpodcast at gmail.com. We'd be happy to uh, to take your questions, take your suggestions, or just uh, make a new friend. My plug, always send us your pictures of yourselves listening to Fly on the Wall. Um, every Wednesday we do Where Do You Fly Wednesday, so we want to see you listening to the pod. Yes, that is an imperative. We love seeing people actually <laughs> engage with our podcast because it's one of the most amazing things that we do, and we're super excited to do it for you. And if you don't send it, it's always pictures of Aaron at Yates, so. <laughs> I haven't gone to Yates in months. <laughs> uh, so today on the podcast, we have something a little different, I think very timely with Valentine's Day happening this past Wednesday. We're going to be introducing a mini-series that we'll be doing throughout the semester called Political Power Couples, uh, in which we'll interview two people at a time, you know, a couple engaged in politics at the top of their field, be it Democrat, Republican, or otherwise affiliated, uh, and talk to them about you know how they made their relationship work in the context of their political work, and you know how they met, how they fell in love, you know what their life is like uh, before, during, and after, and you just get a sense of what it, what dating is like in in the political world. Yeah, I think it's a very tense and stressful world sometimes. So this mm. is kind of a little bright area, a little bright side to politics. And it's adorable, especially being Valentine's Day. So <laughs> we chose one of the cutest couples that we know. Uh, this week on the pod, we'll be talking to the Dillons. That is Jen O'Malley Dillon and Patrick Dillon, uh, who we'll tell you a little bit about uh, more in a bit. But first, we want to get to what we know is your favorite thing about season three, because it's definitely our favorite thing about season three, and that is the segment wheel. Kendall, what is the segment wheel? Uh, this is a wheel that we're going to spin um, it has six random different segments on it, and we will see which ones we pick, uh, and then we will discuss. I promise we have absolutely no idea what it's going to choose, uh, so we are just as excited as you are to find out uh, what we'll be talking about. So a little nervous, but... Let's give this wheel a good old-fashioned spin. means we're going to be starting off with would you rather so today's would you rather question shout out alec for this uh preparing this question because i think it's a great one and very timely i'm glad we landed on it would you rather work in field or communications kendall you're up first so i think my personality i think i would be better uh placed in communications um i think i, I kind of like to control the narrative and i think if i'm working on a campaign and i see a candidate a certain way and i think i believe in that image um, I think I'd really enjoy trying to portray that to everyone else and get that message out there. Interesting. Well, you are uh, on our communication team for the podcast, so I guess that <laughs> makes sense. Uh, for me, I would definitely say, sorry, Jen, uh, but I would say comms. Um, yeah, it, comms has just sort of been the through line with my experience, at least here at Georgetown, from doing press for uh, student government, from doing internships at you know PR agencies. I've done a couple now, um, so like campaign lifestyle, things like that. Uh, and it's just, you know, part of who I am, telling stories and, you know, like you said, building narratives and, and helping other people see what I see in any given situation. So That's fair. But see, when I see Aaron's Google Calendar, uh, <laughs> I think he would also be perfect in the field. <laughs> Maybe the most organized and busy person I know, so uh, you could handle it. <laughs> Organization-wise, yes. Um, I do think that I, I might not uh, enjoy getting along with people as much as you want <laughs> to, uh, to do field. Um, but I could always smile and fake it. You never know. <laughs> Great. All right. So let's spin this wheel one more time and we will see uh, what our next segment is going to be. Kendall, give that wheel a spin. Oh, here we go. What did it land on, Kendall? Uh, this one is Did You See That? Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have one for this. Uh, I haven't told Kendall what it is. I don't know if anyone knows what it is. Uh, I don't. But uh, I'm going to frame it as a question. So you got to answer this question. This article is from The Atlantic. It dropped 
uh, a couple days ago, February 15th. Aaron's going to make me look ignorant here. The question is, <laughs> what color is a tennis ball? What? What color is a tennis ball? <laughs> lime green. Mm, see, I would say green. I wouldn't even qualify with lime. But there are people in this world that think tennis balls are yellow. Who? There Why? are people that... It's true. People do Twitter polls. Of 30,000 participants in this Twitter poll, 52% said green and 42% said yellow. This is like that that dress, that blue and black dress. I just, I, <laughs> right? From like sophomore year of high school or something? It's like, not yellow and gold. It, yeah. It was certainly yellow. I never <laughs> saw it. No, not, no, no way. But like, hmm. no. I can you never see heard a world tennis, tennis ball, ball is, yellow. is yellow. I don't think that's true. So, where I'm going to go with this is that this is probably a parallel to a larger commentary on American society where we are so set on how we see things. You know, sometimes it can feel like Democrats, Republicans live in two very different worlds and can look at the same very clearly green tennis ball and believe that it's two different colors. And I, I don't know, I, I thought this is a, a cool think piece in, in The Atlantic about, you know, how, how we can get so set in our views and refuse to change. So next, we're talking a little bit about our political picks. As you know, we've been doing this awesome game where we all put out a guess about what we think uh, our guests this week are going to answer to any particular question. So what was our question this week, Kendall? Um, this week, the question was, what is the Dylan's favorite date spot in D.C.? See, my go-to is going to be the zoo, right? It's free. It's beautiful. Got a lot of cute, fuzzy creatures. Very romantic, especially you know in the uh, in the winter, in the evening, when they have zoo lights. I I think it's a go-to. No, see, I thought they would go for something more classic. Um, they're in the political world, so obviously they appreciate the country's history. I think they'd spend a nice day picnicking at the national monuments. Okay, maybe to Washington. I could see that. Well, we will find out after this recording. We'll come back and loop back with you in the outro to see how we did. Um, but I don't know. I'm genuinely curious to see uh, to see how they answer that. I know. I need some ideas. <laughs> Awesome. Oh. So we will we'll be uh, back with more on that. Uh, but first, we just sort of want to talk about, because this is a political power couple um, podcast built on, you know, how two people uh, get to know each other, especially in, in a close-knit environment. Uh, I think Kendall wanted <laughs> to make a little bit of commentary about, you know, how her and I first became friends. We'll tell you our couple's story. <laughs> okay. Couple is misleading. Couple is misleading. Absolutely. But uh, freshman year, Aaron and I lived on the same floor in New South which was the best floor that year um and all of his roommates lived there and we became pretty close friends to the point that we fought a lot and we were not friends half the time um we had a lot of fun um and I always say that Aaron's the one who pushes me to do something so he always has a new project he's working on or a new idea and he comes and talks to me about it and I'm always on board because Aaron's pretty good at what he does oh stop (laughs) but he drives me crazy um but I do think that it's you see when you start working with someone like this and you start working on different uh, projects on campus and a lot of stressful things. Uh, you see the best and the worst in people. And I think Aaron and I have both shown those sides. But it's, True. I don't know. I think it's a cute little story. <laughs> Three years in and we're actually finally really good friends. See, Kevin doesn't remember this part, but the first time I ever like met her. So she looked like someone <laughs> I met over Gap Weekend, so like Admitted Students Day weekend. And... <laughs> So, like, literally on the first day of uh, orientation, I, like, went up to her. I was like, I know you. And she was like, no, you don't. We weren't even here on the same weekend. <laughs> yeah, we were not here on the same gap weekend. Um, so that was an awkward first encounter. But, you know. But, you know, then that fall, um, some guy in my hallway comes up to me and he's like, I have tickets to the Ed Sheeran concert. Like, okay. an extra we ticket. We knew each other by that time. <laughs> I don't, I swear to you, I was still a little fuzzy on his name. I wasn't uh, really sure if it was Aaron or maybe it could have been someone else. Because some people look like Aaron, you know. But. We went to the concert, had a great time. We tried to meet Ed Sheeran at the end and it didn't work out. I'm still very angry about that. <laughs> but I think now now at least I know your name. But much like uh, the Dylans will describe in this episode, you know, being on the campaign trail is much like being on a freshman dorm floor. You know, you get to live in very close quarters with everyone. You're spending all your time with someone, um, everyone, like a small group of people, and you get really close. And, mm-hmm. yeah, I think... I think uh, their story uh, is a great example of you know some of the best things that can come out of a, a career in politics. I think it definitely is. It's really cute. So let's introduce the Dillons. Uh, so you want to start first with Patrick? Yeah. Um, so Patrick is currently a partner at Hilltop Public Solutions, but um, he served on the Obama re-election campaign 
uh, as senior advisor for Battleground States, and he was also the White House Deputy Director of Political Affairs and the Special Assistant to President Obama. Before that, um, he managed for Governor Culver in Iowa, and he served as the youngest chief of staff to a governor at the time. That's true. He's also a Georgetown graduate. He is. And he was a geopolitics fellow way back in 2016, spring mm-hmm. of 2016. Uh, so super excited to have him on. Uh, so Jennifer O'Malley Dillon, previously Jennifer O'Malley, uh, is a longtime uh, participant in politics and public service. She uh, got her start, um, like Patrick did, out on the trail. Um, in Iowa, she's been a field organizer by trade and sort of moved uh, around from race to race, even campaign managing in the Florida gubernatorial. Uh, eventually found her way onto the Obama re, uh, or the original Obama 08, uh, then deputy campaign manager to the Obama re-elect in 2012, uh, and between then did a stint as the executive director of the DNC. And after the re-elect, uh, when they had their twins, uh, they felt the need to, to settle down and, and make a permanent home here in D.C. So she started uh, one of the top political consulting organizations in uh, the country, at least, uh, Precision Strategies, where I'm fortunate enough to intern now uh, and you know can see firsthand the great work that she does and they do as a whole. So with that... Unless you have any of the comments on the Dylan? I just they're just pretty amazing people and I'm excited to get to know them and to get to talk to them because um I think I think living in this world of politics could be very stressful and I think hearing their story, um, I'm sure they'll talk about I hope they'll talk about it. Uh, they had twins a week after election night in mm-hmm. twenty twelve. So I think it's just it's a very cool story. So I'm excited. Well, can't wait to have them on. So enjoy. Well, welcome everyone. We're here at Precision Strategies in a beautiful glass conference room uh, overlooking you know, the skyline out here in D.C. Uh, and we want to say thank you to our guests, uh, General Malley Dillon and Patrick Dillon. Thanks for having us. Hey there. Uh, you're both ge- uh, friends of geopolitics in different capacities. Patrick, you were a fellow spring of 2016, mm-hmm. right? And you're still on the still on the advisory board? Yes. Awesome. And Jen, you were a participant in our mentorship program, uh, which we very much appreciate. Yes, yeah, so you're our first power couple on the pod. Uh, so tell us, how did, how did you guys meet? Uh, so we met working uh, in, uh, in Iowa on a caucus campaign, uh, which, as Jen likes to say, is about the only way a girl from Massachusetts and a boy from Texas uh, were going to get together in the <laughs> state of Iowa. Um, uh, you know, we worked together. Our desks were probably, I don't know, six, seven feet apart uh, for 10, 12, 14 hours a day. Wow. Um, and then we went next door to the bar next door to our campaign and spent the rest of those hours there. <laughs> Somewhere in there was a little bit of sleep. Uh, and over the course of that, you know, that's that's how it all happened. And we didn't like each other at all when we met each other. No way. <laughs> really? True. True story. Um, we So I we're on the ca- same campaign together. Patrick did communications and I did field. Obviously, field's the best um, for anyone that's. Uh, <laughs> Patrick, has, disagree <laughs> do you I've disagree? Learned, I've learned not to. Uh. And so we came from different worlds when it comes to campaigning and different worlds when it comes to where we come from. And so, you know, the first several weeks and months of the campaign, um, I'm not sure we saw eye to eye, but fortunately, because we had to work together and live together and hang out together, we had plenty of time to get over those initial bad feelings. <laughs> That's fair. So then who asked who out first? Well, I don't even know the answer uh, to that. Well, so I... Oh. You, yeah, I mean, you I, it was me. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it was just because in some ways we kind of think of our first... Uh, I mean, we had a, like an official date, but we kind of think of the first was we went to the Iowa State Fair with our friends, um, and we kind of got uh, abandoned. They left us there. Yeah, we got abandoned there. Um, and maybe they sort of knew what they were up to, or maybe they just... Um, and <laughs> we had a really nice uh, evening at the Iowa State Fair, um, and uh, and then, then was our first date like a few days later, yeah. I guess. Yeah. <clears throat> when we were talking before, you said you kept it a secret at first. Why, why was that? Well, you know, I think the campaign world... I. I God knows what it's like dating in college now, but I, I remember, you know, way back when, like, if you were dating somebody on the same floor in your dorm or something, like, one, you didn't maybe really want to do that at all, but if you were, you didn't necessarily want everybody to know right away. Um, and so I think uh, uh, I think campaigns are kind of like that. You've got everybody, you know, it's sort of this really intense environment. Everybody's in on top of each other. And in 2004, we were there with, what, six, seven, eight other presidential campaigns, all working in about a 10-block radius with each other in a relatively small town. And so you kind of, you know, you kind of wanted to have something to keep to yourself. And also, 
you know, odds are it wasn't going to work out. You're going to be sitting across the table from each other for the rest of the campaign. So maybe, you know, better to keep that contained. Kind of like relate to that. We were on the same floor freshman year as well. And there was plenty of that drama going on. <laughs> totally so some things never change. That's <laughs> for sure. So then were there challenges when you were on the trail? When you were digging? And how did you work together that way? Yeah, you know, I mean. I think that it's hard to work together with the person you're in a relationship with, especially when you're on a campaign, because a campaign's so immersive, right? It's it's not just what you do, it's your whole life. And, you know, when you're out there long enough, you don't talk to your friends back home or your family. Everyone's kind of like, where do those people go? And you really attach to the folks that you're around every day. And so you have to be pretty deliberate for a serious relationship or one that you hope will succeed to try to find a way where you can make time for that um, and also work through the challenges of working together, which obviously we did since we got married. But we have, over the time, um, continued to work together and have found that that is um, equally hard even after you've been in a long relationship just to be able to go home and put the, the day's work behind us. So we, you know, we probably don't work together as much as we used to, and, and that's probably good for us. And, and I think, I mean, you know, when we were first dating on the campaign, you know, sometimes it was challenging, literally, like, you know, I was working on the press department and she was working in the field department. And it was my job to go sort of annoy her and say, I need you to find me this supporter in this one county who's left-handed, who can be the chair of our left-handed veterans committee for a press release. I'm sure that and well. yeah, and, and her job was to, you know, actually win the campaign. And so that was a little bit not helpful for me to, have, you know, so we'd have those kinds of things back and forth. Um, I think the other thing on campaigns is sometimes... Uh, being on a campaign can kind of feel like being part of a cult. Um, and uh, and then so you sort of get a relationship in the midst of your cult and you kind of are not really sure is that part is that kind of going along with the cult or is that real? And so you kind of it takes time to kind of it's like all out. those actors on movies. Yeah. yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. And it so, was very much like that. Just imagine. exactly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what about the setting in Iowa of all places, you know, small towns, uh, you know, limited people you're interacting with day to day. How did that play into the challenges of dating? Well, I think in some ways it helped because so many of us have come in from different places. You know, Iowa has been known for being, um, you know, an early state in the presidential context, a battleground state. And so, you know, they have a long history of being a, a large campaign um, place where you have a lot of field staff on the ground. You're doing a lot of organizing. So in some ways, you know, it's it's helpful because you come in from a different place. You're not immersed in the community when you move in, and so you're building the community as part of the campaign. And I think I think something for us, at least in our relationship, that's always been something we've always felt strongest in or liked most is when we were kind of exploring something together. Um, you know, literally from like when we're taking a trip and we go on a hike to, you know, I kind of look at the Iowa time like that. We were learning. You know, I went to all 99 counties. I don't. You know, Jen didn't quite make to all 99, but like through that process, we were kind of learning you know, the world around us there and what we were capable of and, and, you know, operating at that level of presidential politics. And I think to do that together was a really special opportunity. Um, and in some ways it's kind of flowed, you know, I think it's one of the things I think I'm most grateful for is all the biggest things I think I've accomplished in my career, which I think are the things, the biggest things I've accomplished in public service we've done together, um, from, you know, sort of the, the surprise finish we pulled off in the caucuses in 2004 when we were first dating to, you know, the night we passed healthcare, and, you know, and got to celebrate in, in the White House that night, we worked together for that. And not everybody gets the chance to do that. And I think that's one of the things is we've kind of been able to grow and explore through that over time. Good answer. <laughs> right answer. <laughs> also. Well, yeah, so we'll get to that. Um, but then in 2006, you were both on gubernatorial races. Um, you were in Florida, uh, Jen and Patrick, you were in Iowa. So what was that? That well, I will brutal. say there's not a lot of good uh, options to fly from Des Moines to Tampa and back and forth. <laughs> which, yeah. uh, there might be more now, but there weren't as many then. Uh, boy. Yeah, I mean, so we were uh, we were there for about 15 months. I think we saw each other five times. One of those times we got engaged. I think one of those times we almost broke up. <laughs> um so, you know, it was tough and I think unusual to um, have a couple in that the stage that we were in to be that far apart and make that choice. But um, we made that choice because I was going to manage a campaign in Florida. Patrick was going to manage a campaign in Iowa. And we sort of felt like this, you know, in order to manage a campaign well, you really have to be immersed in it. And right. in order to do that, um, having us both do it at the same time was actually pretty good for us. We both knew what each other was going through. We knew that if we couldn't talk every day, we understood why. We could understand the different ebbs and flows of a campaign. 
Um, and then I lost, and so we moved to Iowa because he won. You know, I think I think it had its challenges, but I think as Jen said, it, it, one of the things that was really great is when you know we would be on the phone at you know one in the morning because some days that's when we had the chance to talk, um, and and we knew what the other was going through in a way that I think very few other people would have known, um, and so. You know, and I think we believe in the, one of the important things of our partnership all along has been that we believe in each other's careers. And we knew, I, I think it's good that we both did that because we both took our shot. And that was our sort of best, that was the best shot available to us at that time in terms of our career. And we got to do that. And so, you know, I think it was all better because we were able to sort of help each other through it. And that we weren't in the same place. No, that, and there were, look, there were, yeah, there's no question there were days that it was probably much better that, you know, new. yeah, you come off of a day of, you know, Get, you know, yelling at or being yelled at by your candidate all day and you come home and like it was probably better to, to you know, to, to be a part. So. And you mentioned before, you know, I really like the line, you know, there's some benefits to going through the same thing at the same time with your partner. So are, are there any moments that you remember, you know, from your independent uh, individual experiences there that, you know, really highlight, you know, that sort of uh, the benefit of, of that relationship, the strength of your relationship during that period? Yeah, I mean, for one, I don't think either one of us ever worried about um, finding other folks because we were too busy <laughs> working the whole time and we had total trust in that. <laughs> but in, in more seriousness, I mean, you know, for me, I mean, Patrick's my biggest advisor, right? So whatever I'm doing, whether it's now or at any point in my life, um, you know, he's the person that I'm going to talk about stuff. You know, when you're a boss, it's hard to go to other people that you're working with or that work for you and have the same kind of questions or just say, I have no idea how to do this. Um, and so for for Patrick, you know, even if he didn't do what I, I did, um, you know, I would still ask that because he's one of the smartest people I know. But at the same time, we were both grappling with the same kind of challenges. And some of that, you know, allowed us to be able to really talk about stuff and not feel like... In this instance, we were bringing work home, but we could really partner with each other to help each one um, work through a hard situation or um, come up with a new plan or handle a tough management challenge. Um, and that felt in, you know, very supportive and I think very unique because we both really understood that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think if you're not intentional about it, being a campaign manager, probably like being a leader or sort of a manager in a lot of different roles, can get kind of lonely um, because... You know, and particularly, you know, that's in management in some ways sometimes anyway, because you have to keep a certain level of remove and, and sort of detachment in terms of how you manage. But also then you add in the factor you're in a state where you don't necessarily know everybody and don't have your own networks. And so, you know, it's possible for that to be the case. And I think we had this built in safety valve where that that wasn't going to happen because we we were able to connect with each other and know what the other was going through. And as Jen said, share advice. I mean, I remember many times getting advice from her. You know, I uh, we were doing the same job in that we were both running gubernatorial campaigns, but in so many other ways, <laughs> Iowa is barely even a media market in Florida, um, both in terms of scale of voters and amount of money. And so, you know, it was really there were really sort of tactical, sort of granular things we could talk to each other about that were very helpful for me all through that. You're listening to Fly on the Wall. We'll be right back. Today's tweet of the week favorite longest running segment that we have here at Fly on the Wall uh, is actually brought to you by the GUSA executive elections, which are currently going on right now. So our tweet comes from Jeff Cirillo. Jeff Cirillo is the senior news editor at The Hoya. The Hoya is uh, one of Georgetown's newspapers. Uh, there are a couple that, that, that write on Georgetown happenings. Um, but Jeff's from The Hoya, and he writes, front page of at The Hoya, February 16th, 2018. Is 4,500 words on this year's at GU Association's executive tickets enough for you? And it's a screen grab of uh, all four tickets that are in the race. And like you said, 4,500 words uh, analyzing the race, which is quite a commitment. And I commend uh, all the writers who contributed to that. Yeah, I think it's definitely interesting. Um, I mean, especially looking at communications in political elections. Um, I can imagine that seeing one news article or one news source can really sway a vote. So I'm wondering how this will affect the election. Yeah, I'm curious. I, I, I do know that um, that readership of student publications isn't always high on any college campus. Um, I think the front page is, is critical as well. So I'm, I'm very glad they gave equal space um, and equal word count to all four tickets. Well, and I think voter turnout is also important and sometimes lack, lagging in um, student elections. So the election is next Thursday. 
Yep, February 22nd. Voting will be open for 24 full hours, so make you sure can your do voice, it on your phone. Make sure your hard. voice is heard. Every vote uh, counts in this election. We want to make sure everyone is heard. So then moving on a little bit, 2012 was a really big year for both of you. <laughs> <laughs> in a few ways. <laughs> yes, so um, you became parents that year. Um, and you were also in the room on election night. So tell us a little bit about that night and that week and that year for you guys. Uh, you know, I, I'm going to jump in first because I always think, I, I say this all the time, I, I don't think Jen gets the due she deserves for the role she took, you know, in, in really helping lead that campaign in Chicago for the president's reelection. Um, but also while carrying twins in what was a really actually complicated and at times fairly scary pregnancy, too. Um, and, you know, to this day, every day, I'm truly in awe that she was able to do all of that. I have no doubt I could not do any of that. Um, and Especially so, the pregnant part. <laughs> yes, <laughs> beyond technical reasons. Um, uh, uh, you know, and so I think um, I think that was, a, in some ways, that was really the big thing for us in 2012, almost, you know. Um, but I also, you know... I, I tell people to this day, I still sort of don't forgive uh, Mitt Romney for taking so long to concede on election night because uh, Jen's actual uh, uh, expected due date because of having twins was on election day. And so we were terrified um, that these kids were going to be coming on election day. And so there we are, at, you know, in my memory, it was like 3 a.m. It was probably really like midnight or 1 a.m. or whatever it is. You know, we've been on our feet, been on our feet, Jen had, been up since we'd been up since 4 a.m. that morning to start in the boiler room, you know, and waiting for him to just be done with this so we could go home and, and hopefully not, you know, I'm terrified we're going to end up delivering, you know, our children uh, in the, you know, backstage at the victory party, <laughs> which maybe would have been a good story, but was not a risk that we really wanted to take. Um, and so, yeah. you know. Well, but also, um, in addition to all that, and obviously our kids are our most uh, crowning achievement. Um, <laughs> You know, the only reason we were able to make 2012 work was because, um, you know, Patrick, I, you know, I had an opportunity to be a deputy campaign manager on the campaign. I was at the DNC. You know, my whole life had been campaign work, and that was, you know, a pretty big role for someone that we believed in so much and had worked so hard for. But Patrick was in the White House as a deputy political director. And we, at that stage in our life, just felt like that wasn't the time for us to be separate. Um, and that if, you know, I was going to be able to do that role, um, that he would have to make a change. And the only reason we ended up in Chicago was because he was um, willing to step away from the White House, which is a pretty big deal um, to right. do in order to um, have us move to Chicago, you know, move into a new role himself that he was working through that allowed him to be in Chicago and continue to do political work. You know, he worked on the campaign as well um, through that. But without that, um, without that willingness and understanding of the opportunity and what we needed to do for our relationship, we wouldn't have worked in 2012. And I think for women in particular, um, that's a really important element of how I've been successful because I have a partner who was willing to make a very significant change in his own career to allow um, an opportunity for, for me to kind of come first in terms of where we lived. And we've both done that at different points in our career, but um, without that, there wouldn't have been a 2012. Maybe I would have had an easier pregnancy. <laughs> and, and I think about 2012 sometimes, I mean, you could argue we either, I mean, ultimately our, our daughters were born exactly a week after election day, so we got a little bit of a breathing room uh, before our world got turned upside down all over again. Um, but you, to this day, I can't decide whether we had really good timing or really bad timing, because I can also see in some ways, we took on an immense risk. Um, we could have woken up on the day after the election having just lost. Um, and us and all of our friends and our entire professional networks being out of work in D.C. with two newborn children. Um, and I also think in some ways that's a reflection of sort of a, you know, a strength or a commonality we found in our relationship over this work was, you know, you, you want to kind of have the same appetite for risk and what what is worth taking that risk for. And I think we saw, you know, we wanted to start a family, but it was also worth taking that risk because we believed in, you know, trying to get this president reelected and what that meant for the country. But, it, you know, when I look back, I see how it could have gone the other way. Um, and in some ways, you know, a little bit of luck and a lot of hard work got us to, to the result we got in 2012. So 2012, week after Election Day, you have your kids. I'm curious, <laughs> how did having 
kids, especially twin girls, change your relationship and how did it change up, you know, the, the amount of work you're doing you know, in the political world, you know, at home, all of that stuff? Well, I like to say, if you ask me what I do, uh, I would say I'm an organizer. Uh, and my greatest failing as an organizer was being prepared for those children. Um, we had nothing prepared, nothing <laughs> planned. We, like, we did, we did, I hadn't even, like, processed that I would need to think about child care, or where we're going to live, or what we're going to do for a job. Yeah, you were a little... Yeah, there yeah, was, time. you know, a little bit going <laughs> on. Yeah. Like it. Yeah. Um, Minor things. Which, which, as an aside, Jen will say this sometimes, I mean, one of the things... It, the twin pregnancy was a little bit, you know, had its moments of being sort of scary here and there. In some ways, we still think that it was actually good we were so focused on the campaign because it kept us from having, you know, we didn't worry about some yeah. of that stuff. But, I mean, look, there's no doubt that having kids does change your world uh, for the better. But, you know, we are professional people. We are hard workers. And that shit, oh, I'm sorry, I'm swearing. You're fine. But, you know, it's hard and it completely changes your world. Um, you know, we asked my mom to come out for two weeks and she stayed for 10 months wow. <laughs> because uh, we needed the help. And so, you know, that that really was, again, completely immersive. And, you know, you kind of are in your own world. We stayed in Chicago. Most of our friends had already left to go um, do what they were going to be doing. And in that time, Patrick, uh, you know, he can talk about it, but he took on a really big um, uh, project that had him uh, traveling internationally. A few months after that, I was doing work in South Africa, and so the first time I left the kids was to go on a, a trip to South Africa. Um, you know, we were then moving to D.C. I was starting this company. So, you know, the timing, when I look back, it's, you know, it, it's sort of luck and hard work and, uh, you know, all of the above that pulled it together. But, you know, at the end of the day, especially, again, just talking as a, a woman and um, a mom and a, a business person, you know, you just have to make choices. And it means, you know, I ascribe to the RBG school of thought that you can have it all, you just can't have it all at the same time. And so, you know, in some ways we were fortunate that I was out of a job <laughs> when I had the kids and we had a few months to kind of figure that out and I had family help that could support us during that time. And that allowed me to still make some pretty big changes and, and start a company and, and figure out what's next. But, you know, you have to really balance that and know that there's going to be ebbs and flows to your success. And clearly when the kids came into our lives, we both made big choices that kind of changed the trajectory of not necessarily where we're headed, but the type of work we were doing. I became a consultant for the first time. You know, he continued to be a consultant um, doing projects. And I think that if we hadn't done that, it would have been hard to kind of navigate those first years. I do think, I mean, um, if you work in this business and you do campaigns, you know, and do politics, you know, over the years, it's after the election is always when your life kind of changes anyway, whether you've lost or you've won, it's almost always kind of a checkpoint where you're figuring out what's next, what's the thing I'm going to do, am I packing up and moving to the next state, am I going back to D.C., um, and that happens even if you haven't had you know, two new children come into your world, which is like, a, it just blows up everything in your whole world. And so in some ways it was good to kind of have that all at once because it allowed us more ability to focus and more sort of freedom to kind of, as Jen said, almost sort of redesign our world around around the, the needs that they that they created. But I, I think it's also worth saying how privileged we are that yeah. we were able to do that. We were able to, you know, we had <clears throat> the resources to take a step away. The fact that I wasn't working didn't impact us. We had family members that could, my mom had just retired. And so she was able to come, but that's not the norm. And it's yeah. certainly, you know, um, uh, not the standard and something that, you know, we're grateful for, but we also know um, we're very fortunate and very few people have that same opportunity. Yeah. And that makes sense. And you continue to work as parents of twins. So has it changed? Has it gotten easier? Is they a little older now? Or <laughs> oh my God. <clears throat> they're, uh, they're five. Um, I always say that like, um, four was like the the perfect year <laughs> for my kids. Um, I, Patrick doesn't completely agree, um, but you know um, it was and is super hard. And you know it's really hard um, <laughs> to just be a parent and not screw everything up. So let's just say yeah, that. no matter what you. Yeah. It's not like there's a manual <laughs> that legitimately tells you how to do this well. Um, and um, you know I work uh, a lot. You know both of us do, and I travel a great deal. Um, you know, when the girls were two and a half and three, I was on the road every single week for an entire year. Oh. Um, and that's tough. It's tough on them. It's probably more tough on me. 
um, in terms of being away from them. I, I think at that age, they don't totally understand um, that. But, you know, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of tough choices you have to make as parents. Um, I knew at two weeks old for my children that I had to go back to work. And that's just uh, who I am. And I think people that don't make that decision or have to and they don't have a choice, you know, everyone has to choose their right path. For me, working was, was the path. Um, and I feel like, you know, I am a better person and a better mom to my kids because I work and because that fulfills me and that helps me be uh, a better version of myself and help, uh, you know, hopefully role model to my kids, whatever they want to decide to do. But the sacrifices of that, the fact that, um, you know, I work every day, we have about an hour and a half before we put them to bed at night, and then I go right back to work, um, you know, it is an impact. It's not the way I was raised. It's not, you know, I worry more about um, how they're going to get their homework done and how I'm going to get to sporting events in the future, and we'll cross that bridge when it comes to it. But, you know, I, I think that it's just it's a game of priorities and choices and flexibility and partnership. And, you know, again, just, you know, we're very fortunate that we both have some flexibility in our lives, a lot of resources and ability to support the kids and make sure that they're going to turn out all right <laughs> with or without <laughs> our better uh, parenting. Um, but, you know, it's it's tough. I, I wouldn't do it any other way, but it certainly uh, has been eye-opening and, and something that, you know, we struggle with every day. Yeah, and, and we've been lucky. We've been able to, as Jen said, we're, we're very lucky, very privileged, I think, that we've been able to build the support network that we have around us. Um, but it is its own set of challenges every day. Um, you know, and we sit here today all of 10 weeks out from uh, adding our third uh, in May. Um, and thank you. Um, and that will be its own. Yes, uh, crazy. That'll, right. That its own, yeah. And, and here we are five years older and more tired. Um, so, uh, you know, we'll see how that goes. Um, but, you know, I, I think we've been lucky. And, I, you know, I think we've tried to, one thing you learn, I think, you know, Jen went back to saying she was an organizer. One thing I think you learn with kids is you've got to be as intentional as possible about how you're spending your time, about how, you know, you're trying to, you know, what you're trying to communicate to them, what you're trying to model to them, you know, even in the way, you know, I think it's very important for our daughters that they see their mom going out and traveling. They, they like to play in our living room about how they're going on trips to California for big meetings. And, yeah. and, I, and I think that's actually great because that's the model I want them to see in the, right. the world they can grow into. And so, you know, sometimes it, it feels like there's a trade, but there's that other side of it that is, you know, really positive. You're listening to Fly in the Wall. We'll be right back. So this week's political fun fact, um, President Woodrow Wilson would paint his golf balls black during the winter so he could continue playing golf when it would snow. Well, I think that just goes to say that, uh, you know, this whole debate over presidents playing golf, you know, between Obama and Trump, it goes a little bit further back than just those two (laughs) of our two latest presidents. Uh, Woodrow Wilson, obviously a big fan of golf. Uh, I imagine other California presidents. Reagan uh, also enjoyed their golf being from from California as well. I'm sure they did. I don't totally get the appeal. Um, I'm more of a putt-putt person myself. (laughs) So let's pivot real fast uh, and talk about a very unique working relationship that you two had that we discussed uh, earlier was uh, when Patrick, you were in the White House, and Jen, you were the executive director of the DNC. Uh, so that was a unique working relationship. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about how that worked? You know, how you were able to balance that along with your relationship as well at the same time. I mean, I I think uh, I kind of look at uh, you can if there was a high point to it, it was when uh, we passed uh, uh, Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act, uh, and uh, you know we worked very hard together in in complementary ways to to try to make that happen. Um, and I think both of us still see that as probably the, the biggest achievement of our career in, in terms of what we've done, you know, and what we set out to do by working in this field. Um, if there was a low point, it was losing 70-something seats in the 2010 midterms, uh, which seems particularly relevant sitting here in, in you know, spring of 2018. Um, and that had its own challenges, too. You know, um, there, you know, my job in the political affairs shop in the White House was dealing with that question and how, you know, we maintained our support in Congress and what that was, you know, both in terms of votes, but where it would be post the midterms. And obviously Jen's role was deep in the campaign side of that. Um, And that is a a tough, tough place to be, knowing that it's, you know, there's almost no outcome that's good in the first midterm of a president's term. Um, And both of us were working, you know, every day on some part of that. And that could be really 
uh, really challenging. You know, I think that those are the times we remember coming home from work. Uh, if we were talking earlier about how when we were running Cuban trail campaigns, it was great to call somebody on the other end of the phone and knew what we were going through. That was a time when we came home from work and we sort of looked at each other and said, you know, I really wish you were a teacher or a doctor or you know some anything anything <laughs> other than you know I mean because you know that was sitting in meetings together you know going over lists of races and both of us having to sort of explain and account for why we were going to lose a whole bunch of them, which is not the most fun way to spend a day uh, uh, together. Uh, so you know well and I you know for for my role at the DNC I was strictly political. And I had a lot of things I had to focus on that, you know, was carrying out the president's agenda as well as making sure that he was successful politically. But I was also, you know, managing, uh, uh, you know, hundreds, thousands of staff and OFA was part of the DNC in those days. And so there was a lot of other responsibility, raising money, um, running programs in the ground that really mattered and required um, the White House to help ensure that that's successful. And, you know, Patrick, was in part one of my main points of contact at the White House in the political department and often the person that um, was either responsible for or just tasked with telling me what to do or asking me for stuff. Have that go over. Yeah, um, not so hot a lot of the time. I would say that that was probably the hardest working relationship we had and in part because it was just so stressful and hard to begin with. And if you can imagine that time, you know, I like to say about um, 09 and, and 10, everyone, some of the smartest people in the world were doing jobs for the first time ever, right? You know, in the White House, um, you know, what we were doing at the DNC, brand new people coming in, so much talent, but never having done that work. And so you're in an environment where, you know, none of us really knew what we were doing. We we're starting everything from scratch. We had a brand new president. Um, you know, we just wanted to put our heads down and get... And the by the way, the world was falling apart at the time. Yeah, I mean, right. and the question of were we going to tip into an entire depre global depression, and, right. you know, which sort of tends to weigh all over, you know? Although I will say, like, that felt, felt, feels like that was so much easier. Uh, yeah, no, we, we didn't know, today. yeah, we didn't know then what it could be now. <laughs> yeah. that, that's very true. But, you know, ultimately, you know, that that kind of relationship where there was requirements of each other on each other of what we needed in order to fill out our, our roles and reach our goals, you know, is, is a, a very tough environment to navigate and one that um, ultimately we had to just find a way to make work because if he wasn't successful, I wasn't successful and vice versa. And unfortunately, neither one, neither one of us were successful when it came to the midterms, but that and, wasn't all our fault. And I, and I always think one of the great things, um, and boy, is it even more pronounced in comparison to today, but... You know, I think working in that White House, working in the Obama White House, you worked with uh, and were surrounded by genuinely good people uh, with genuinely good intentions every day. Um, and, uh, and, and I think that's one of the things we didn't even know to be so appreciative of until now. Um, but even within that, sometimes the, the sort of, you know, the headiness of being in the White House and picking up the phone and you're calling on behalf of the White House could get to you. Um, and I still remember very clearly, uh, this story doesn't accrue well to my benefit, but I remember very well you know, one of those early times, as Jen was talking about, where, you know, sort of a, a thing came out that the White House thought it would be important for the DNC to do and to do it very quickly. Um, and it was my job to call Jen and say, we would like you to do this. Um, and I think any objective reading of it would be that I probably leaned a little too much into this is the White House calling and you have to do this. Um, and by the end of the day, I realized I needed to remember um, <laughs> Ultimately, the other the other more important hat I wore uh, in terms of as a husband and partner. Um, and so, you know, I think that was one of the everybody has those moments. It was it was an interesting way or everybody has those moments, I think, in their marriage where they kind of figure you know things out. That was an interesting stage on which to be figuring that out and to sort of, you know, realize at the end of the day how I might have done that differently and, and better. But here we are eight years later. And I remember it clearly. So maybe I maybe I took something away from it. So, um, so now you both own your own PR firms um, and you're still in a similar field. So have your firms ever interacted and how's that working relationship? So, you know, um, we both do similar work, I think complementary work, but our our firms fortunately don't really compete against each other. We've had certainly instances where, um, you know, we, we have worked together um, because I do think, you know, what we do as a company and what Patrick's company does um, have elements that are um, very collaborative but are unique um, based on the team and the company. Um, yeah, we've had a few times where maybe we've competed for business. I think most of those times 
the companies that neither one of us have done the business. So it wasn't probably for the best. Yeah, yeah there's exactly. something to be said for that being yeah. the outcome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you know, I mean, it, it is to be honest. Um, you know, uh, a very different environment when you know when you're doing campaigns and you're working. You know, as we did for President Obama, everything is about the you know something work around the same issues and the issues of the day and the priorities. And so, even if you're not doing the same thing and your work is complementary, it's still focused on the same work. Um, same when, goal at the end of the exactly. day. Exactly. You know, with with our companies, you know, we have a lot of different clients. My, um, you know, our firms are similar in that. You know, we have political clients, we have um, organizational clients, we have corporate clients, um, but all of them are very different in and of themselves, and and we do different types of work for them. And so I think what that's done is, you know, one, for me, it's just given me a broader perspective on how to do the work I'd been doing for so long in a political context and apply it more broadly. Um, And I I think as a result of that, I'm far better at doing political work now than I was before we started this. Um, But it also has meant that there's a lot of work that Patrick's company does and my company does that, you know, we can help each other on, in part because Patrick was consulting longer than I was. It is a big jump going from being on a campaign to actually becoming a consultant and there, you know, having clients versus being the client, Um, but also, you know, how you approach a pitch or how you think about solving a challenge that a client has or how you really um, get under the hood quickly about an issue that, you know, a company or corporation has. And so I think, again, this has been, you know, well suited for our relationship and for us to support each other because we're in the same field, essentially, but we are doing different work in that field. And I think no matter where we work or what field we're in or whether there's, you know, some moment of actual specific competition or not, I think two things have never changed. One is, you know, I I truly believe this always, her success is, you know, something that is, you know, makes me as happy or happier as any success I might achieve. And so, you know, I think her success is our family's success. And, you know, and I think that's the way we look at it. And so that, you know, but there is no, it's not a, there's no zero sum game, even if there is some sort of specific moment of competition in some ways. Um, you know, and I think the other is kind of what Jen just talked about, which is still, we are each other's, you know, sort of closest advisors too. Um, that sounds more technical than it should be, I think. In a, but, um, but I think there is a real element of that, of, you know, the, the breadth and scope of what we do now, we can talk to each other about ideas and, hey, have you seen this kind of situation? What would you do about it? And I think that helps us both be better at the end of the day at our work, um, you know, and, and it's is really a, a plus there, too. Great. Well, we only have you for a few more minutes, so we want to do our final segment, which is what we call the lightning round. All so right. We ask you questions, and you both just have to, to you know, shout out your answer. <laughs> you can do it individually together, however it works for you, uh, as quickly as you can. So the first question, what is your favorite date spot in D.C., given that it's Valentine's Day? We don't go on too many dates. <laughs> <laughs> you had to pick one. I see, I would have guessed like the, the Truman Bowling Alley in the White House. Oh, uh, that would be good. Boy, this I... is pathetic. <laughs> Just give an it's answer. Valentine's Day, people. I know, on. I know. You know, I it's, I, I don't. <laughs> All right, come back on that one. Come yeah, back. we're gonna we might have to we might have to we might any, have to any edit place that. that is not with our children. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I think there's so I there's actually something to that. It's like going. Uh, this might sound like a cop out answer, but I think it, uh, thinking about it, I think the truth is there's not like one spot that we go back to. I think the thing that is most favorite for us on a date spot is going someplace new together without our kids and sort of getting a chance to kind of you know, get back that little time that's us, you know, and in a new place, if that makes sense. That was definitely not a lightning answer. We failed. All right, ask you, 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 can, one. you can edit and compress, right? <laughs> uh, uh, so what would be your dream project to work on together? Well, I think, uh, so lightning round, I think the first answer would be, um, I think we both believe deeply that what's happening in the country right now is a scary, uh, terrifying moment. And I think our dream project to work on together would be to collectively work together to help turn this in a different direction, you know, and maybe elect that, a democratic president. Yeah, president. exactly. That's uh, a more specific I'm way of saying it. Lightning. It's uh, lightning. Yeah, yeah. Well, that is perfect for our third question, which is, would either of you ever consider jumping back on the trail in 2020? Absolutely. I think we both would in some way, right? I mean, uh, that's the lightning answer. I mean, you know, in what form and for whom and how and when and all that is, you know, a question, an answer for something other than a lightning round. But I think we both believe in, you know, the importance of 2020 
um, and, and both, both believe we have something to offer. And you know, I think this is a time when all hands are called to to pitch in. Um, you know, we've spent our whole career. Uh, this is the you know every year in this career we tell everybody it's the most important uh, election of your lifetime. Well, eighteen and twenty, yeah, that's really true. And everyone, every student listening, go on a campaign. It will be the most rewarding experience of your life and the most impact you will have. Absolutely. And maybe you'll end up being uh, us on this thing in 20 years, <laughs> no, uh, no. for better or worse. <laughs> well, there are worse things to be than one of the best power couples that we know in D.C. So thank you so much for taking time out of uh, this beautiful Valentine's Day for speaking with us. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Big thank you to the Dillons, not only for the kindness to give us a full 45 minutes of their time as two incredibly busy individuals, uh, but also to bring us into their office, one of the nicest conference rooms of the building. It was gorgeous. It was gorgeous. And they you know, just opened up about their lives, about their stories. Uh, and I think it was inspiring for all of us, you know, hoping to go into political work and to find that special someone, uh, you know, that that can happen even in an incredibly stressful environment to the point that Kendall made earlier. Yeah, and I think it was a great way to spend a Valentine's Day morning, so I'm glad <laughs> we did it. For sure. Uh, so let's recap on our political picks. I think it's clear and easy to say that <laughs> none of us won. None of us could have seen the fact uh, that actually, you know what, they're very busy, yes. um, hard, incredibly hard workers and the hardest workers I've ever met. So, you know, it makes sense that they, uh, they don't have a one you know, go to place. You know, they like to spice things up when they have the time. And I think as parents, you're really busy. So anywhere you go, you go with your kids. And I guess I think those count as dates, though, and I'm sure that they've had some really fun days oh, at sure. the zoo there. So, but that means points to you. <laughs> I was gonna say, yeah, my zoo, my zoo didn't net me any credit. Kendall no. with uh, the National Mall. The mall, nope. nope. You know who else? What else did Christian and uh, Justin? Have Christian to say? chose our favorite Vietnamese restaurant, Miss Saigon. Uh, what we knew that wasn't gonna happen. That's that's <laughs> just know. that's just a, a secret between all of us. Justin also went for food. Um, he thought they'd be down for brunch at Farmer's Fisher's. Mm. Yeah, to be fair, Farmer's Fisher's is right below Patrick's office. Really? His office building is right above Farmer's Fishers, yeah. Well, and Jen's office is right next to the other, the Farmer's and Distiller's restaurant. There you go. So that's actually, uh, I'll, ta- I'll take it back. It's probably not a terrible thing. <laughs> no. Uh, Alec didn't think that they would reveal their favorite date spot. He said that they would be going to an insider place and it'd be off the record. But Interesting. Well, he was right in that they didn't reveal <laughs> a date <laughs> this spot. This is true. Yes. Um, and Abby went with the uh, Kennedy Center roof, which sounds like a great idea, so... Jotting that down. Yeah, I was gonna say maybe maybe uh, maybe they'll they'll take note after listening to this. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you so much for listening. One final plug at Fly on the Wall Pod on all of our social at Fly on the or Fly on the Wall Podcast at gmail.com if you want to shoot us a note. Um, subscribe on iTunes, follow us on SoundCloud, on any sort of podcasting medium. We're on all of them. Uh, we want to make sure that you uh, love the pod and we'd love to hear your feedback. So feel free to share. And thank you uh, for being a friend to Jew Politics and all of us here at the podcast. Yes, we love the pod and we love that you listen. So happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> and enjoy, uh, enjoy the long weekend. Yeah.